If you're new with us this morning, we are in the middle of a sermon series addressing the Apostles' Creed. And in this creed, we find some of the great beliefs of the church, including our core beliefs about God, our core beliefs about Jesus, and some of our core beliefs about the church. Some Bible scholars believe that the, this creed goes all the way back to the second century, making it one of the oldest statements of faith in the history of the Christian church. And we, we are certainly glad you're here and just want to remind you that uh, for the last four weeks or so, we've been talking about what the creed says about our beliefs about Jesus. And so we've been using this graphic that you're gonna see on the screen. It is a way to visualize that Christ, uh, first we came to earth, that he died, that he rose again, then he ascended back to heaven, and then finally he will come again. And today, we're gonna to touch on that final belief statement about Jesus included in the creed. And it goes like this, from thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. But first, will you join me as we start in prayer? Let's pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. One day, Jesus will return. And as the creed declares, he will come to judge the living and the dead. Something that we often refer to as judgment day. And when we pause to think about judgment, what does that, what comes to mind when you think about that? Fire and brimstone, the fiery lake of sulfur, eternal punishment, standing before an angry God shaking his fist, or maybe even a, a robotic army led by Arnold Schwarzenegger. Hopefully it's not that one. For many believers, this is just a part of the Bible we would just as, as soon just gloss over and not think about. And while we think of the God of the Old Testament as maybe being a God of judgment, what happened to the God of the New Testament? Is he not supposed to be a God of love, a God of mercy, a God of grace? In his book, This We Believe, author and theologian Timothy Tennant writes about a friend of his by the name of Bob Mumford. Bob is a pastor and a Bible teacher. And it seems that Bob went to sleep one night and he woke up the next morning had, having had a very disturbing dream. And in his dream, he, he picked up his Bible and some places in the Bible, the words were huge. They were very large font. And then other words in the Bible, other verses, they were so tiny that he could barely make them out. And in his dream, Bob sensed that God was calling him and telling him, Bob, Preach my entire word, not just your favorite parts. And so if I were to pick up my Bible and share with you some of my favorites today, I might select uh, Ephesians 2. For you were saved by grace, not by works, so that no one can boast. Or how about this? One of my life verses. I can, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Or better yet, how about this? Nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. These are some of my big print scriptures. But 
what about this doctrine? This doctrine of Christ's return to sit in judgment of the living and the dead. As the creed reflects, from thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. So question, what, what does this quick mean? Who, who are the quick anyway? Well, in essence, it's the opposite of those who are dead. Therefore, it must be the living. It's old English language. And believe it or not, this phrase was even used back in the time of the Old West when gunfighters would duel each other on the streets of Tucson or, or uh, some other of those cities, uh, Wichita. And the, the old saying would go, he is either quick on the draw or he is dead. There's just something about judgment. There's something about judgment that our our culture finds offensive. It just doesn't seem fair, does it? It just doesn't seem fair. But let's wait a moment. How can we honestly say that God's judgment is not fair? In reality, it is totally fair. And my hope is that by the end of this morning, before you leave this place today, together we can find that Christ's final judgment is to be a source of comfort and peace for each and every one of us. Let's start unpacking that thought. So what does the Bible tell us about Jesus' return? For for our discussion this morning, I wanna share with you four things that we learn from reading the scriptures, from hearing what Jesus has to say. And here they are. Number one, he says, beware of those who will impersonate me. Beware of imposters, fake messiahs, false gods who will come in my name. Jesus also says, as to timing, don't know. When will Christ come again? And then, We're gonna talk about the actual event of judgment and then we'll close with what the judgment means for each and every one of us as believers in Christ. So let's start out with talking about imposters. So there are actually some pretty deep thought in Matthew chapter 24 about where Jesus himself is is addressing his return. And in the 24th and 25th chapters of Matthew, if you want to have your Bibles with you, your smart devices, you can turn to those. We're going to be flipping through a lot of scriptures. But in Matthew 24, verse 3, we find this uh, beginning to this text. Jesus is sitting at the Mount of Olives and the disciples came to him privately and they said, tell us, Lord, they said, when will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And so how does Jesus go about answering them and us for that matter? Well, first of all, he, he tells us that he Uh, wants us not to be deceived when others come in his name, trying to convince us that that the Messiah, the the Christ has already come. Jesus said, watch out and make sure that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name claiming I'm the Messiah and they, they will deceive many. And then he continues, at that time, if anybody says to you, look, here's the Messiah or there he is, do not believe them. Jesus knew in advance that others would come 
to try to impersonate him, seeking to take advantage of the situation, to take advantage of those of his followers whose emotions were very fragile at the time. And so as a warning, Jesus is telling his disciples and us that many will come in his name, claiming that they are the Christ. Now, not to be outdone, today we still have people coming attempting to deceive others, declaring themselves the Messiah. There's even uh, an article I want to share with you. Arthur uh, Jonas Bendixson, back in 2017, wrote an online piece for The Guardian entitled, Meet the Modern Day Messiahs. And in this piece, he defined modern day Messiahs as someone who has operated in the public sphere, someone who has lived out their, their revelation as a Christ for a number of years, and finally, someone who has published scripture, if you will. And through research on Google, this, uh, this author, Ben Dixon, he found, among others, three self-professing messiahs that are worthy of discussion. Let's look at those today. Okay, meet David Shayla. David is a former MI5 operative from London who has been claiming to be the Messiah since back in 2007. Now, he has a relatively small following, but he, he always signs his correspondence, his emails, David Shayla, the Christ. Now, as false messiahs go, he's not that all that impressive, I have to tell you. But look, take a look at this next guy. His name is Visseron. He is a former Soviet uh, and Siberian traffic cop. He claims to be the Messiah going all the way back to the early 90s. He has literally thousands and thousands of followers over in Russia. And in this picture that you see here, sort of it's, it's an image of the Last Supper, if you will. But take a look at this next picture. Here, he's greeting those who have journeyed on a Christmas pilgrimage to, to where he's going to be. And get this, his Christmas pilgrimage is on his birthday, where else? December 25th. And finally, here's Moses Longwayne. Moses is a former jewelry salesman from South Africa. He has been claiming to be the Messiah ever since God spoke to him in a dream in 1992. And he also claims that his most recent, <clears throat> most recent marriage was the beginning of the end of the day. So let me tell you guys, don't tell your new bride that having married her is the beginning of the end of the days. I don't think it will go over very well. So in the 24th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, again, I want you to hear these words. Jesus said, so if anyone tells you, there he is out in the wilderness, don't go out there. Or if he says, here he is in one of the upper rooms, don't believe it. For as lightning comes that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. And then he continues. Then there will be a sign of the Son of Man in heaven and then all of the peoples of the earth will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a cloud with, with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather as elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. Jesus told us 
to beware of false prophets and not to fret thinking that we might have missed it. Let me just say this to you and I need you to trust me on this. There's not any place in this world you can go that you're going to miss Jesus' second coming. You don't have to say, well, I was in the restroom, I missed it. Or, oh, I was taking a nap and he came and I missed it. No, it's not happening. When Jesus comes again, we will all know it. and There won't be any doubt. So up until this point, Jesus had not answered the, his uh, disciples' first question. That was, when, when will this happen? But going forward on this question, Jesus doesn't mince any words. He says, about that day or about that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, not even the son, but only the father. Down in the Marvin Sanctuary, there are four striking stained glass window portraits. They're on the far end on the back of the sanctuary, including one that is based upon the parable of the 10 bridesmaids in Matthew chapter 25. And if you will allow me to use a little bit of artistic license to share this parable, I'm gonna do so in a more contemporary context. So you see, Jesus was sharing that the kingdom of heaven would be like 10 bridesmaids who took their iPhones and went out to meet the bridegroom. And five of these bridesmaids were wise and five were foolish. The foolish, foolish ones took their iPhones, but they did not take along their chargers, okay? The, the wise ones, they not only took their chargers, but they took extra battery packs as well. No, the bridegroom was a long time coming and all of the bridesmaids fell asleep. And then in the middle of the night, a cry rang out, the bridegroom is coming, the bridegroom is coming. So everybody woke up. And then the foolish bridesmaids realized as they looked at their phones, they were dead. And so what did they do? They immediately dashed off to CVS to buy a new phone charger. But the wise bridesmaids they had their phones fully charged. And when the bridegroom arrived, they went into the banquet hall with him and began the celebration. And the door was locked. And then later, later the foolish bridesmaids arrived back from CVS now having their phones charged. And they yank on the door and it's locked and they say, let us in, let us in. But the bridegroom replied, Truly, I tell you, I don't even know you. And as Matthew 26, 13 says, Jesus makes this point. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. A couple of days ago, a good buddy of mine posted on Facebook that he and his wife were planning on going to Disney World this week, but they had not yet told their children. They wanted it to be a surprise. And I'm thinking, you want it to be a surprise, but you put it on Facebook? But let me share with you this. There will be no leaks, nor will there be any unauthorized releases of information on the matter when Christ comes again. I can assure you, only God the Father knows when that is gonna happen, and he's not telling anybody until it does. Now, we've discussed Jesus' warnings about imposters and false Christs. We've talked about what Jesus said about when his second coming is going to take place, and that is we just need to be ready whenever that takes place. So now let's move on to the next question. What is going to happen on the day of judgment? 
Now, before you get started breaking out in a cold sweat and all, let's keep this in mind. Christ will come to vindicate the saints and to judge the world. And in Romans chapter 14, Paul says this. He says, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. And then in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus continues to describe the final judgment. He says, when the son of man comes in all of his glory and all of the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered before him. He will separate the people one from the other as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats and he will place the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left. First of all, I wanna emphasize this. This text was never intended to be a put down on goats, okay? If there are any goat raisers out in the audience. Most importantly, shepherds of the day simply divided up their flocks into one kind of an animal or another. Yet in the final judgment, it will be eternally important as to which line we find ourselves that day. And it, let's continue, in Luke's gospel, Jesus said, there is nothing concealed that day that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be known. So Jesus having divided up the people into groups, he then begins to speak to the group on his right. He says, you come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom of God that has been prepared for you since the creation of the earth. When I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was a stranger, you invited me in. When I needed clothing, you clothed me. When I was sick, you looked after me. When I was in prison, you came to visit me. But those on his right, the righteous, will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? or needing clothes, clothe you? When do we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, truly I tell you, whoever, whatever you did for the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you did for me. Whatever you did for one of these, the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you did for me. You gotta pause and let that sink in for a moment. Remember what Jesus said were the most important commandments, the greatest commandments, to love the Lord your God and to love your neighbor as yourself. However we go about caring for others is in a very much a long way going to determine which line we find ourselves standing in at the judgment day. Over the years, I have had the, the pleasure of knowing a couple, sweet couple by the name of J.D. and Donna Arnold. J.D. went on to be with the Lord in 2019 and Donna still serves on our missions team as much as she can as a result of her having some struggles with her health. So some years back, this sweet couple got involved with an organization known as Rahab's Retreat. It's an organization over in Kilgore that is designed to help victims of sex trafficking, human trafficking. And Rahab's now occupies what was a former nursing home. They've reconfigured it, they've reconstructed it, really made it nice. And now it is there to house again, 
victims of human trafficking as well as any children that they might have. And over the years, JD and Donna have invested themselves in this organization. They helped raise money. They helped get it off the ground. They brought awareness to the sin of human trafficking. And they have made a real difference. The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did to the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you did for me. But then to those on his left, Jesus replied, when I was hungry, you gave me nothing to eat. When I was thirsty, you didn't even offer me a drink of water. When I was sick or in prison, you did not come to visit me. And then the people will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger and not come to see you or needing clothes and not clothe you or in prison and not come to help you? And the king replied, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you did not do for me. And then they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteousness, the righteous, the righteous will go to eternal life. In the book of Revelation, we find a book being opened, containing everything anyone ever did or said. So come to our final question. What does the judgment hold and mean for those of us as believers in Jesus Christ? The book of Revelation also makes reference to a second book, a book known as the Lamb's Book of Life. And there are the names of those that are written in the book of life who will be granted access to the kingdom of heaven. So this gets back to what I was talking about earlier. If you get nothing more out of being here today than this, then pay attention to these next few words of mine. Judgment is about God setting everything straight. Justice is central to God's doctrine of love. This week I was reading a passage from the Psalms. If you're reading the, the Bible in a year, you would have read this Psalm. Psalm 91, beginning in verse 14, it goes like this. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him, and I will honor him. And with long life, I will satisfy him and show him, and show him my salvation. In establishing justice, God provides that, that sin must be punished. But, to, but keep this in mind. The message of God's grace is that in judgment, Jesus Christ has already borne the penalty of our sins. He bore those on the cross at Calvary. And through God's divine grace, we are freed from the chains of eternal death. Therefore, we have no need to fear the day, the day of judgment. The Apostle Paul said the, this in his letter to the church at Thessalonica. He said, all of this is evident of God's judgment, that God's judgment is right. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to those of you who are troubled and to us as well. And this will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. So what does 
the scriptures tell us about salvation. Whether or not our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. I want you to ponder these familiar words from the Gospel of John. John 3.16. Almost all of us have that memorized. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall never perish but have eternal life. All the way back in 1834, songwriter Edwin Mote penned these words in the classic hymn, My Hope is Built. This is what he said. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. My friends, God is calling us here today, providing with us that we are not alone that God is for us. He is here to restore justice to the world, to restore the purity and the beauty of his original creation, free of sin and evil. Revelations chapter 21 captures the essence of this new creation with these beautiful words. Take a look at them on the screen. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things will have passed away. From thence, he shall come to judge the living, the quick and the dead. Christ's ultimate victory, his final act of restoring everything that was lost. If you look at the final chapter of your Bible, the next to the last verse it says this, come Lord Jesus, come, amen, 